This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You know what they tell people that you're worried about in their early 40s? Fertility. It's all about, are you fertile? You should, you know, it's, and yeah, I mean that to some people that's important, but you know what? That's not the only thing going on. And so I think that, you know, you have to think about what is your value on women? And if you only value women as breeders, then of course you wouldn't talk about menopause. Welcome to Wellness, Fact versus Fiction. I'm Dr. Danielle Bellardo, and I'm a cardiologist who loves evidence-based medicine and nutrition science. But as a millennial, I've watched endless wellness fads take over social media. It's my mission to get to the bottom of things by bringing on the top expert physicians and scientists to help us determine what is fact versus fiction when it comes to your health. It's time to leave the pseudoscience behind and become empowered when it comes to our wellness. Hi everyone, back for part two of the conversation with the brilliant and amazing Dr. Jen Gunter. Dr. Jen is a OBGYN pain medicine physician, the medical misinformation sleuth of the internet who really helps to debunk tons of women's health misinformation. If you didn't check out last week's first hour episode with Dr. Gunter, check that out first because we covered a lot of ground. Today's episode in part two of Jen's interview, we cover tons of info regarding menopause and we're with the amazing author of the menopause manifesto herself, Dr. Jen Gunter. We cover common signs of menopause, bioidentical hormone therapy versus menopausal hormone therapy, the safest kinds of hormone therapy, non-hormonal options, how to seek out a specialist, tips for women to navigate the plethora of information available online about women's health, medical conspiracy thinking, and more. This episode's a great one. So let's get to it. I read your phenomenal book called The Menopause Manifesto. And although I'm in my 30s, I think this is a book that everyone in their 20s, 30s should be reading. That's a woman. And even honestly, even if you're not, if you're a man, if you if you 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 probably know someone that's going to go through menopause eventually. And I think that it's a very educational book. And for me as a cardiologist, I found your book to be incredibly helpful because there's actually a lot of overlap between our specialties because a lot of my patients I see end up being post premenopausal, perimenopausal, postmenopausal. So 
The menopause manifesto is your book. I love it. And it's super helpful and educational. And so some of the biggest common questions I got about menopause are what are the first symptoms people notice and when should they start to expect and look out for them? Yeah. Well, thank you for all the hype about the book. And yeah, I think everybody should read it. I think you should know about it. I mean, I've known about it since I was 21, 22 in medical school, right? Everybody should have that same knowledge. It shouldn't be a secret, like how your body works, especially something that you got to like live with all the time. Like, you know, whether, you know, your face, a phase of life. So the symptoms, so the most common symptom of menopause is irregular bleeding. So uh, skipped periods or heavy periods, sort of menstrual shenanigans, that's the most common symptom. Uh, and it's the one that's actually not talk. Everybody talks about hot flushes and certainly they do happen, but, um, but yeah, but menstrual irregularities are more common and they can start, you know, anywhere from eight to 10 years before your final period. I mean, that's the whole thing. So we go through this phase called the menopause transition, which is the time transitioning up to menopause, which is your last period. But the thing is, is it doesn't really have a harder or fast start or stop, you know, start, it has a fast stop date as your last period, but, um, but, you know, so people can kind of flirt with it a little bit and sort of, sort of wander in and out of it for a while. And it's really the last three years before your final period where things kind of kick up and you have more and more symptoms, but everybody's different, right? Like, you know, you, you see people probably who have minimal symptoms with one condition and then somebody else can have horrible symptoms. And if you look at their scans, they've got the exact same thing going on. So we all are very different. You know, some people never have one menstrual cramp in their whole life and other people have terrible cramps and there's people in between and many things can affect how you feel too about, you know, your symptoms. So yeah, so those are very common vaginal dryness is common, heart palpitations, that common um, symptom. And the thing is, cause there's no test to know if you're in the menopause transition, right? So there's no hormone tests that can tell you, you, if you're 45, you are, you're in the menopause transition. And so we never really know, like I had significant heart palpitations when I was about like 47 and 47, 48. And of course, I don't know, maybe was it related to that? Was it, you know, I, my heart rate was in my thirties. <laughs> your heart rate was in your third, in the thirties. Yeah. So wow. I would be sitting in clinic going, I don't feel right. What's going on? Like, oh, I feel like some weirdness here. And it feels like my heart's rolling over. And I took my heart rate. It was like 34. So I had to go down and have an EKG and then, and then I had to have a Holter and I had some kind of weird re-entry thing. Right. Oh. So, cause I had like a super, I sort of have a slow heart rate anyway. I think that's why everybody in my family lives to be a hundred. So I was low heart rate and I was really exercising a lot. And so the guy's theory was my heart rate just got so low that it was allowing like an ectopic thing to sort of escape. And, but you know, then it went away and then I'm like, oh, I wonder if that was menopause. Like wow. I want, it could have been, but who knows? There's no way to know. And that's hard. We have a hard time living with uncertainty. We have a hard time living with uncertainty. And this is an area where women are certainly taken advantage of on the internet with misinformation because menopause is something that has been historically not spoken about. I mean, I think that you are so important for this space because you're providing evidence-based information about something that is seems to have been kind of hidden and not discussed and not advocated for. And so it's ripe for people to take advantage with predatory ideas and um, practices in the menopause transition. So one thing that I got tons of questions on was bioidentical hormone therapy. And if you can explain the difference between that and regular menopausal hormone therapy. Yeah. So right away, if you hear the term bioidentical, that's, that should alert you that person's probably scamming you or isn't actually appropriately informed. 
because it doesn't. So the whole idea about bioidentical is that these hormones are supposed to be identical to what your body is making. Well, you're not supposed to have estrogen when you're 60 or 55. You're supposed to not like it's part of evolution to not have it. So, so the very fact you're taking hormones is not biologically identical in any way. You're not supposed to have high levels of hormones in your body. And it doesn't mean that's bad or good, but if you want to use that thinking, the other thing is, um, and I love this point is that they can't actually be bioidentical anyway. They can't be the same as what your ovary makes because you know, you know that, well, we make our, our estrogen and progesterone from um, the, we need the cholesterol from our food to make it. And so we get cholesterol from multiple different sources. So we have cholesterol with sort of different, um, it's 14 C to 15 C carbon ratio. And I like, I don't understand all the biochemistry, but, but basically all the different foods have different kinds of sort of, of carbon ratios for their cholesterol. But when it's made in a lab as it is, it's made from one source. So it has a single, so it, it doesn't have that mix. So I tell people it's like having um, a bag of Halloween candy that has all different candies in it or a bag that just has two C-rolls. And so, you know, it's, they're not the same. They're both bags of candy. And as far as your body is concerned, it's the same, like they're the same amount of calories, the same amount of everything, but so they're not truly bioidentical. It's not possible. So what matters is, has something been studied and is it safe? And is it effective? Because the natural estrogen made by your body can give you cancer, right? So the natural estrogen made by your body can give you cancer, the lining of the uterus. And for many people it can be a factor in their breast cancer. Just like if you've got too much, um, you know, of any hormone, it's bad for you. It doesn't matter that it's natural. So, you know, I think people need to do away with that because it gets back to that health halo term. And it doesn't tell us anything about whether that drug is safe or effective. So there's different reasons to use different, um, different estrogens and progesterones or progestins, which are synthetic forms. People also get all wadded up about, you know, synthetic. And what I would say is synthetic just means it was made in a lab and every hormone that you're taking was made in a lab with the exception, if you're using Premarin, which is distilled from horse urine, right? So that's the only natural estrogen, all the other hormones that you take are made by semi-synthesis in a lab, meaning they took a natural compound, like an extract from a yam or an extract from soybean, and they converted that through a very intense multi-step biological process to the hormone. There's no like grinding with mortar and pestles. And, you know, this isn't like, you know, potions 101, this is <laughs> complex biochemistry. <laughs> to call that natural is you know, a scam. It's not. And what you want is what's safe and effective. So the safest form of menopausal hormone therapy is transdermal, meaning it goes across the skin. And the safest is made by a pharmaceutical company because of when we know how much you're absorbing. What's the difference between transdermal versus oral versus a vaginal cream? So, so oral is much higher risk of blood clots um, and cardiac disease and other problems. And that's related to um, triggering uh, hypercoagulability. Uh, and so it's really fascinating. It's due to the metabolism in the liver. And I actually think it's related to how it's metabolized to estrone, which is kind of fascinating. Yeah. So, you know, if you can't use any other form, oral might be okay, but if, if all things are considered, you want to avoid it if you can. So transdermal means either a patch. There are also some pharmaceutical sprays and lotions, and there's also a vaginal ring that's combined with a progestin that, that, absor that you can absorb enough estrogen from. The creams and the estrogen ring alone and vaginal tablets and things, those are just for local vaginal therapy. So the reasons to take 
hormones are one, if you have vaginal dryness, absolutely estrogen is a gold standard, very protective for bladder infections. Uh, and for most people who want to be sexually active, they're going to need to use some kind of vaginal estrogen. Whether you need to put estrogen in your bloodstream um, depends on, are you having bad symptoms? Uh, are you, um, and the symptoms that can be controlled are hot flushes, sleep disturbance related to hot flushes that can sometimes help people with mild depression. And uh, that's really it, you know, uh, and protect against osteoporosis. There's no data to tell us that hormones prevent Alzheimer's or dementia. I know that we're, that's still being evaluated. So anyone saying that it does is not giving you correct information. And we really don't believe that it improves heart disease. And certainly if you're 60 or older, starting hormones increases your risk of heart disease. I'm so glad we get to talk about this. this is one of my favorite topics. So Martha Gulati, who's a cardiologist who focuses a lot on women's heart health and Aaron Mikos, who's a cardiologist at Hopkins, who does a lot of women's heart health too. Both have given like a lot of talks on, on this topic. And I think that basically my understanding from the cardiovascular standpoint is that if you're primary prevention, so someone without established coronary artery disease, it's just making sure before initiating uh, menopausal hormonal therapy, it's just making sure that their risk factors and everything like that are in, are in check. Right. Um, but in secondary prevention, we recommend uh, against it. Yes. Just for, for individuals who already have cardiovascular disease. Yeah. And I see a lot of misinformation from so-called menopause experts on Instagram about this, recommending it to, oh, this is going to protect you from heart disease. And this is, you know, it's like, no, that's what we used to think before the Women's Health Initiative yeah. based on observational data. Right. The Women's Health Initiative did not show that at all. And in fact, it showed an increase. And now we know that that increase is probably people 60 and older and that it's neutral for people, you know, less than 10 years from their last menstrual period, uh, who are, you know, less than 60 with the understanding that you're in good cardiovascular health. And right. so you need to have your ASC, whatever VD risk calculator mm -hmm. thing done. Right. And if you are at high risk for heart disease, then we really don't recommend starting. And right. I see a lot of people on Instagram saying, oh, you can start it regardless of your blood pressure, regardless of this. And Same. actually that's just not true. Same. I've seen the exact same thing. And uh, as a cardiologist, I'll often see patients for something else for hypertension or hyperlipidemia. And then I'll notice that, you know, we'll get a calcium score and it's, you know, 300, they've been on menopausal hormone therapy. And, you know, now they fall into the secondary prevention category. They have coronary artery disease and it's a discussion we have to have about going off of it, you know? So it, it's hard, but I think that, you know, of course, everything with every patient is a discussion on benefits versus risks. And, you know, um, but I do think the misinformation out there in the cardiovascular realm is, is a little present on Instagram. Yeah. Well, it could kill someone too. Right. Yeah. Like that's, you know, and I think that, you know, I, you know, I see these popular accounts spreading this disinformation and I just, you know, this idea that hormones are good for everybody and they're good for everything is simply just not supported by the literature. And I think what happens is people get very afraid because they, maybe they're starting hormones in a time when their symptoms are terrible, right? So they're 48, but they're having their worst symptoms because you're in your late menopause transition. So how you feel when you're off hormones, when you're 57 is not going to be the same. The other important thing is you've also aged nine years. So when you stop those hormones, and if you feel kind of worse than you did when you're 47, well, yeah, you, you've aged nine years like that happens. And, you know, what's been going on from an exercise standpoint, what are you, you know, are you doing weights? Are you doing resistance training? All these really important things. And I find that these sort of pro estrogen accounts talk about nothing else 
but hormones. Look at you talking about lifestyle being right. an important factor here. Actually, so my question for you that I think is mostly for because of the patients I see, if you have a patient that has coronary artery disease and they unfortunately are contraindicated or history of PE or something, a reason to contraindicate to go on any hormone therapy during menopause, and they do have really bad menopausal symptoms, what are some non-hormonal kind of methods you recommend? Yeah. So, you know, so I have a ton of success with gabapentin for hot flushes and sleep disturbance, tons. And because I do chronic pain, I'm like very familiar with gabapentin. Like I, you know, I use it in doses like 2,700 milligrams a day and we don't use it that dose for hot flushes at all, like 300 to 900, which is almost homeopathic. I mean, it's not, but it, it actually is very effective. I get, I have so many people thanking me for gabapentin. It's unreal. And it's so cheap. So there's that. Um, Venlef- yeah. Venlafexine, which is a fexor, also effective pregabalin, Lyrica. And so, you know, and then also talking about lifestyle and everything else, but gabapentin and venlafexine are really effective. Um, they're not as effective for hot flashes as estrogen, but they're, they are effective. And so if you take somebody who's having 20 hot flashes a day. Well, you know, with estrogen, maybe you're going to get them down to maybe five or six. Nothing's hundred percent, but you know, with gabapentin, you might get them down to 10 and a 50% reduction. It's a pretty big deal. You know, obviously it works differently for different people, but I, I have people who love it and people who love venlafaxine. And I think it's really important that a lot of providers just don't have experience with it. But again, cause I do chronic pain and we use all these medicines in much higher doses for pain. I'm like, totally like comfortable with it. And you can always stop a medication. You're not married to it. Absolutely. And I think it's important for, for women listening to know that there are options. So what's the best way for someone that is going through the menopause transition that is looking to find someone like you who specializes in this and who can help them guide them if their traditional, you know, GYN is maybe not involved in this space as much. So, you know, the North American Menopause Society has a provider directory and certainly I think they have a provider directory, but somebody who's certified by the North American Menopause Society is certainly a good place to start because that means they've done extra exams, but it's not a guarantee that they're not a snake oil salesperson because a lot of snake oil, you know, a lot of doctors who sell hormone scams become members of NAMS, right? So, so, but it's, it, it's a step in the right direction. I would say that if your provider sells supplements, you shouldn't go to them. If they recommend testosterone pellets, get up and walk out the door, get up and walk out the door. Do not listen to another thing that that person says, because those are absolutely not recommended at all anyway. And they're huge moneymaker. So what if people are using testosterone pellets in menopause? Yeah. And it gives massive high doses and, um, is a higher incidence of having menstrual irregularities, um, hirsutism, cardiac disease, all, you know, they're giving the male level of hormones. Right. And so I've seen clitoromegaly, um, you know, male pattern baldness, uh, and it's amazing to me, but you know, you, you pay cash. So you think, you know, you're getting better care. That's the American way, right? The more you pay, sometimes the better you think your care is. And we all, we all fall into that you know, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm guilty about that. Ooh, ooh, this, this set of flowers is way more expensive than this one. They must be prettier. They must be better. You know, we, we all think like that. So yeah. So testosterone pill is absolutely not recommended. Um, they're very hard to compound the, uh, many of the labs associated with making them have had awful letters from the FDA about, you know, bad handling and that kind of stuff. Uh, there've been, uh, cases where all the reports have not been sent to the FDA of complications and side effects and stuff. So basically if you use supplements and pellets and they only talk about hormones, right? So those would be the three things They get up and walk out the door. 
because a competent menopause practitioner should be able to talk to you about sleep that doesn't involve hormones. They should be asking you like, what are you doing from an exercise standpoint? I always tell people, if you can only do one thing for menopause, just one thing, it would be exercise. Amazing. Because that's going to touch everything. You know, the reason why people break their hips is they fall, right? So obviously osteoporosis increases your risk, but if you never fall in the first place, you're better off, right? What's going to prevent you from falling, working on your muscles, working on your balance, what's good for your heart exercise, you know, what's good for your, your brain exercise, you know, exercise prevents dementia. Depression. It, exactly. Depression. It's one of these things across the board, it, you know, it's magic. If it was a medicine, we'd all be taking it, right? Like, Absolutely. Oh, I'm just going to take my daily dose of exercise. Yeah. I'd be all over that. So, so yeah, so, so those would be the things if they only talk about hormones, if they push testosterone pellets, you know, if they, if they talk just about bioidentical, like these kinds of things, you know, it's just, you know, get up and walk out the door. Hopefully my book will give people like more advice Oh, selling supplements. That was the other one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, your book does help. And that's why I think it's important, you know, because for some reason menopause, I feel like, you know, if you think about pregnancy, there's thousands of books on pregnancy, what right. to expect and you're expecting for women that are in this age range. There's so much information when you're in your reproductive years, when you're in your twenties and thirties, and then all of a sudden the information drops off and people just stop talking about it. And so yeah. your book is needed and more of it because women don't just die after, you know, they stop being fertile. So it's, right. But you know, our relevance, like society is really, you know, like you're a hot babe and then you're dead, right? It's like it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's awful. And I think that's a big part of it is that, you know, there's no greater shame than having a menopausal body. So who wants to talk about it? Even women amongst themselves don't talk about it because it's like shameful. And if you look at, you know, women's magazines have a lot to, I, I think they bear a lot of the blame here because you know, you know what they tell people to be worried about in their early forties fertility. It's all about, are you fertile? Should you should, you know, it's, and yeah, I mean that to some people that's important, but you know what, that's not the only thing going on. And so I think that, you know, you have to think about what is your value on women. And if you only value women as breeders, then of course you wouldn't talk about menopause. Whenever there's an area that isn't talked about thoroughly enough in, in general and discussed, then it, it's prime for the misinformation to come swoop in and, and, you know, take everything over. And I think that the reason why your books are so helpful and the reason why I love your content is because, uh, one, and one thing I try to emphasize that's so important about scientific communicators like you is because you and I both know so many brilliant physicians and especially, you know, on Twitter, there's tons and tons of doctors who are brilliant that are talking about P-values and research studies and um, all of our guidelines and, and evidence-based medicine. And we're talking about, you know, ours and, and different intervals and all these things. But in reality, we need people to be able to communicate this important evidence-based information to the public in a way that's digestible and easy to understand. And that's not intimidating. And I feel this, even as a physician myself, who's a specialist in cardiology, when I am learning about a different specialty and I am a woman, when I'm reading and learning about even menopause, when I read your book, those are things I did not learn in medical school. And there are just so many things that that I have no idea and that I'm easily swayed by. And so your scientific communication is incredibly important because you make it, I think it's just important to emphasize that your books are a good handbook for women to read because they do break down the scientific, the accurate scientific information down into a way that 
everyone can understand because I feel like things outside of my specialty are intimidating or foreign to me, even though I'm a physician. So I can't even imagine, you know, how other people feel. And so I think that you make it accessible for everyone. Oh, well, thank you. That's so sweet. And you do too. I love your content. I love seeing you swing the bat at Joe Rogan. Oh, always, always Joe Rogan and Goop, you know, they both are just, you know, torturing uh, us with a lot of misinformation. And I think that, that it's important. I think that there's actually a growing amount of people on social media that are dying for this content that is more factual and to help people understand the actual evidence-based information, which is what your, your content does, which is why it's so helpful. And it's unfortunate that women's health has kind of always been a little bit shamed and on the back burner and that the industry, whether it's from the large companies, like the ones that like Vagisil or whatever those companies are that Mm -hmm. sell all those things to the Instagram holistic accounts that also prey on people. They're preying on insecurities of women across the life and age span. Oh, and it's just awful. And some of them are doctors, you know, and they're like selling smoothies and detoxes. And I just, I'm so disgusted by some of them. And I just, it's so hard. I mean, I'm just like you every day I get, you know, tagged or direct message about, what do you think about that? What do you think about that? I'm like, you know, I always tell people 99.9% of people asking me, what did I think? What do I think about something? It's always a scam. So I, so if you're thinking about direct messaging me, it's almost certainly a scam. Just so that's just right there. If you're like, Oh, I don't know about this seems it it's a scam. So what do you think your best tips are for women who are trying to navigate at any stage of life, whether it's they're trying to navigate fertility or they're trying to navigate sexual health or they're trying to navigate menopause. What's with this world filled where where all we get is our news from social media, where it's filled with misinformation besides reading your books and following your page, what else can, which are incredibly important, truthfully, um, what else can women do to try to navigate and figure out what to believe? Well, I think, you know, learning how to research health information online so you can double check things. And, you know, the the fastest sort of hack, I hate that word, but I'll, I'll use it here. The fastest hack is, so if there's any subject that you want to look into, you know, if it's in the women's health arena, we'll just pick that. You know, I would say, put it into your Google search bar and then type ACOG. And that stands for the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. So right away, your Google search is going to be populated by things that come from ACOG or put NAMS, North American Menopause Society. And you can do that for any, um, you know, any medical specialty. Uh, And you can put WHO, you could put CDC. uh, And so that's just a really quick way to sort of jury rig your Google search. Because otherwise, when you search, what's going to come up is what's popular or, you know, what's been messed by the algorithm. And a lot of these alternative medicine practitioners are very savvy. They know a lot about what's called search engine optimization. And so the first thing that comes up is their stuff and they're able to bury the negative stuff on like page eight of, you know, your Google search and nobody looks there. No one looks beyond the first three or four things. I mean, that is incredibly helpful. I cannot emphasize enough how helpful that is because this is exactly the advice I give with regards to American College of Cardiology, American Heart Association. I always say that for me, my 
my, it's similar to you. My, my tip is that, you know, if something is going, if someone is out there on social media, giving you something that goes against expert consensus, that goes against a vast majority of guidelines in a specialty, your spidey sense should go up and you should think, why is this? Usually it's because they're selling something, whether it's a course or whether it's a supplement or some sort of special secret that they know. But there's a reason why guidelines and expert consensus exists within, you know, your specialties and within my specialties. And and if someone knows something that I always say this when there's cardiac misinformation, if someone knows something, one person knows something that the entire European Society of Cardiology, the American College of Cardiology and the AHA all do not know, then this person should be like running the world, you know, it's just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It's, it's obviously someone that's spreading misinformation. So I think that using ACOG, the American college of obstetrics and gynecology and, um, the North American menopause society as a reference point is a great tip. And also a great tip that you mentioned is to go through them to find a practitioner, but also being weary, like you said, that that's not foolproof. And, you know, you always have to just be a conscious consumer of your own healthcare. And that is the hardest part I've seen through this pandemic is MDs or DOs, any physicians in the US that are board certified in X, Y, or Z that are spreading misinformation. It is taking us back a notch because they have maybe credentialed and they're still spreading misinformation and it does a disservice for us. Oh yeah. No, there's some doctor down in your neck of the woods, Southern California, who has, I think like over 200,000 followers on Instagram. I'm not going to mention names, but um, you know, everything's due to parasites. Did you know that parasites cause PMS? I mean, they don't. Okay. They don't. Um, Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of this, you know, and home IV therapies and all, you know, all this kind of stuff and, you know, hacking your metabolism. And again, it gets back to people, you know, clearly not even having a basic understanding of what they're talking about. And I, um, I just think, you know, you have to be, you know, if it sounds too good to be true, it's too good to be true. It gets back to, you know, oh, we have stem cells that can fix your son's heart. Okay. That, that's what I would ask for with a magic wand. If it sounds too good to be true, I should look into that a little bit more. I literally, the fact that you mentioned the, I'm triggered by the parasite thing, because the fact is when I discovered functional medicine and all of these parasite cleanses and parasite things, they say, I literally was like, did I miss an entire section of my infectious disease rotation as an internal medicine resident or medical school on how common parasites are? I sent it to all my ID friends and they were like, this is the most insane scammy thing that exists. The parasite thing, parasites cause PMS, parasites cause infertility, parasites cause all these things. Parasite infections are not that common people. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know what? It also does a huge disservice to, you know, there are places in the world where people really are suffering with parasitic infections and they don't have, you know, good treatments or, you know, good prevention therapy. And they, and they have it because they don't have access to clean water or, you know, other other, you know, real catastrophic problems Absolutely. and, you know, or, you know, systemic problems. And it's sort of, you know, to me, it sort of makes light of that, you know, and it's, so it's, there's that also other awful layer, but, but yeah, I mean, I'll never forget. There was a article on goop about how you were going to, um, whatever, fix your problems, uh, fix the parasites by drinking raw goat milk. Oh my gosh. I and mean, I like, uh, yeah. listeria. Yeah. <laughs> And, and, and it comes down to the same fundamental thing, which is create a problem so they can solve the problem with right. their own things that they're going to sell. 
Yeah. You know? And tell you that conventional medicine doesn't know, you know, and it gets back to this overlap with conspiracy theory thinking. Yes. I think that's really the biggest thing. And that if you have any whiff of conspiracy theory thinking, if like, oh, they don't want you to know, or this is secret, or, you know, I'm going to tell you this, that, like that just doesn't exist. Like doctors like want to brag about their discoveries. They really do. They want to go to meetings and they want to stand up and they want to say, oh my gosh, look, this amazing thing that I found out because they also want their colleagues to vet them. They want yes. to know that they're right. They don't want to have made a mistake. So it sort of goes against the way most physicians are. Most physicians are like, I want to, you know, I, I, I want to, you know, sh- tell you about this amazing study we did. Oh my God. It's so amazing. The latest one that I'm thinking of is, um, oh gosh, I'm going to, I think I've, don't have his name right. Is it Kevin Bass, you know, from the NIH who does all those metabolism studies? Oh, and Kevin. They um, res- yeah, yeah. Kevin Hall. He's on the Hall. podcast. Kevin Hall. Show. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Kevin Hall. Sorry, Kevin. Um, I'm terrible with names. That's like the worst for well, me. Close. You got his first name. I got his first name, Kevin. Right. Yeah, and yeah. so, and he, you know, he wrote this really elegant, like redo of like the biggest loser study. It's and fantastic. he's like, takes to Twitter and got to explain it. And he's really committed because, you know, there's original paper and I need to follow it up. I need to make sure people understand it. I mean, that's true science. True science. I agree. And, and I think that, um, for anyone listening, you know, me and Jen, just to explain how, like when people are at home and I understand that, I understand the desire to want to do quote unquote, do your own research and look things up, but I just want everyone listening, you know, even though I'm a physician and I had to do internal medicine residency training before cardiology, I still, the more I know, about my specialty, the less I know about other things, meaning I would ask Jen about anything women's health before I would just on my own think that I can understand. And she does the same with me with regards to cardiology. And the reason is, is because even the way you interpret, the reason why I trust an expert consensus so much is because even the way you interpret research studies depends on what you're trained in, meaning I can't interpret, even though I'm a cardiologist, I can't interpret the data of a cardiac MRI study the same way someone who's a cardiac imager can, who spends all of their time day in, day out doing cardiac MRI that will understand the differences on those studies. And so expert consensus and guidelines and these, these committees, they really are there for a reason, not because we're trying to defer to someone else and shift the blame. It's because the way I spend day in, day out doing lipids and preventive cardiology and nutrition, the way Jen does with all women's health and menopause and everything with women's wellness, we have focused so much in our niche that we trust other experts in medicine with their niche because we can't possibly be able to have the same breadth of knowledge and interpret the data the same way that experts do. And that is why I do have confidence in expert consensus, whether it's um, the pediatricians when they're evaluating vaccine safety, infectious disease, or public health physicians evaluating, you know, they know far more about the topic than I do. Absolutely. And I think I also would like to point out for experts consensus is they bring in a bunch of stakeholders. It's not just like, you know, for whatever the menopause guidelines, like a couple of menopause experts going, okay, well, what do you think? I, well, I think this, okay. Yeah. Oh, I hate that person who wrote that study. How they actually get anything done to me is like astronomical because they don't just have OBGYNs. They'll have a cardiologist or they'll, and they'll have like a sonographer and they'll have, you know, they'll have all these stakeholders, uh, you know, across across different sort of areas of um, intersecting specialties that, you know, and then they have everybody read through it and they got like the amount of effort and energy and 
science that goes into producing these massive consensus guidelines is astronomical. astronomical. And they're it's really years. Yeah, it's years. And so like when I write my books, I'm using just a lot of those. Like when I was writing the hard stuff, I'm like, okay, what are the consensus statements on this? And then you see, okay, oh, the Europeans said the same thing as the Americans. Okay, then I guess we're good to go, you know? Right. Uh, and so, and if they don't say the same thing, I, I would ask somebody. Yeah. So I think that it's really important that people understand the amount of effort that goes into that, as opposed to someone telling you they have a supplement or they have, you know, there's zero effort in that. Exactly. And, and I think that the other big concern people will have is that, you know, it's so influenced by industry and all these things, but in our American College of Cardiology and American Heart Association guidelines, you cannot have conflicts of interest and be on a guideline committee uh, or be a guideline chair or, or things like that. There's very, very, very strict rules about that. And like, as you mentioned, similar with cardiology guidelines, they bring in registered dietitians, they bring in cardiologists, they bring in epidemiologists, they bring in um, nurses, they bring in lawyers. There's a lawyer on the guidelines. There's, you know, all sorts of different specialties and, 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 uh, within cardiology, they've even for our chest pain guidelines that Martha Galati was just the chair of, you know, they had every representation from every cardiac imaging, whether it was nuclear or the leaders in echo or MRI, because you want these differing opinions. Cause what you're doing is grading and classifying the levels of evidence that support something, uh, you know, for, for an algorithm to help us streamline patient care in the most effective way. Um, and that's why I think there's so much distrust against, you know, mainstream medicine, uh, when in reality, you know, you and I, like our goal is just to help our patients and in the best way possible. And we bring attention to the predatory practices, not because we have anything personal against, you know, Mark Hyman or X, Y, or Z it's because predatory practitioners harm our patients. They can harm our families. They can harm everyone around you. They can delay diagnosis for things that are important and they can also give false hope, which is not benign either. Oh, I know. Absolutely. And the money people spend and, you know, with something like, you know, people like Mark Hyman and all these other people, I mean, they're almost always vaccine hesitant or there's, always. you know, you know, uh, or they blame autism on leaky gut and it sell all these kinds of supplements. And it's just, you know, you just see the same, you know, or they're scared of fluoride, you know, be careful about fluoride. And I'm like, okay, these are all like, you know, fluoride is pretty well studied here. And it's, it's also predictable. Stephen right. Gundry, the oh anti-lectin anti-bean man who sells lectin anti-lectin supplements, just keep came out with a kind of vaccine hesitant sort of yes. thing. crappy abstract thing. Yeah, no, no. He, he, he wrote a nasty thing about me for goop a while back. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When goop wrote a, they've only ever come back against one critic. And of course it was me. They would never, you know, cause I'm not like, they didn't think I had a big platform. I'm like, Oh, well, I'm not scared of you, but um, come at yes. me next goop. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> well, so yeah. And so they had him write this whole tone policing thing about you should not swear. And I can't believe that. And I'm just on my way back from this big international meeting. And, and this is where all my work is published, where all his work is published is a conference uh, guideline thing. Like I caught, like, you know, the, the conference pamphlet that goes out to say like yeah. where the abstracts are, like it's not like a even in a, a poster. Yeah, like poster stuff. And um, yeah. And I'm like, so then I was like, dude, like if plants are bad, then why, why do we have all this data that, that show us that people who eat more plants do better? Like, I mean, he sell he literally sells anti-lectin right. supplements. Like, um, I was like, really like tomatoes are bad, but like how do all these people on the Mediterranean diet, like 
do so well because they eat a lot of tomatoes, don't they? Like, it's just so ridiculous. And there's so um, much overlap between all of these functional medicine, holistic, anti-vaccine hesitant, um, naturalistic, There, there's the full overlap. Hesitant yeah. about vaccines, supplements are, you know, I'm selling you a supplement or a cleanse, common theme. Well, you know, medical conspiracy theory thinking, that's where it all is like the anti-vaccine, anti-fluoride, anti-lectin, whatever. People who believe in medical conspiracy theories are more likely to buy supplements. Oh, yeah. So supplements are the turn the wheel of functional medicine. I personally think that if we could do one thing for this country for medicine, it would be to regulate supplements in the same way we regulate pharmaceuticals, Agreed. because then people wouldn't be able to sell them in the way that they're Agreed. selling them. They'd have to study fish oil, like the co- drug companies are, Agreed. and they'd have to have purity testing, all that kind of stuff. And all of this functional alternative medicine would absolutely be shut down. And we would just, again, have evidence-based medicine, you know, there would be, you know, and I'm not talking about like your vitamin D supplement that you might need because you're over 50 and you're like me and you wear sunscreen and you don't go out, right. Or your calcium supplement, if you don't get enough in your diet, I'm not talking about like the single supplements. I'm talking about these, like my special lectin shield or my special pill protect you from the birth control pill syndrome, all these sort of combination products would have to be studied. And so they would never exist. They would just never exist. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for debunking so many things, giving us the true lowdown on women's health. And I am sure everyone's going to want you back again, because that was so helpful. And if you don't already follow Dr. Gunter on social media, you need to please tell them where they can find you on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, everything. Sure. You can find me everywhere at Dr. Jen Gunter. So at Dr. Jen Gunter on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok, which I'm not on TikTok that much, but I love when you do TikTok though. (laughs) I got to do more. Um, but you know, there's only so much time in the day and, uh, and I work on my next book. So I got to like, you know, what's the next one on, um, it's on periods. Yes. Everything to do with menstruation. So, um, yeah, so I'm writing that now Yay! for anyone. So again, we're going to link in the show notes for the vagina Bible and for the menopause manifesto. And I will tell you that it is everything you need to know about women's health. You will never need, you'll scroll by every goop article from now on, and you'll be able to effortlessly scroll by the, um, you know, the, the Instagram accounts spreading misinformation. Once you read them, arm yourself with knowledge, evidence-based information, and And it'll be best for your health and for your sanity too. Because I know that for me, the more I learn from experts, the more I feel comfortable navigating social media where it's a, it's a wild, wild west there. It really is. It absolutely is. So yeah, getting informed is super important. Well, thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I would love to keep bringing you all the latest health and wellness information and misinformation to debunk. So please do me a quick favor and leave a five-star rating review and share with a friend. Make sure to leave a comment about which wellness fad you'd like debunk next and I'll get to the bottom of it. Follow me on Instagram at MD and our podcast page at Wellness Fact Versus Fiction and be sure to tune in next week.